We're going to be in Titus chapter 2 and transitioning into Titus chapter 3 today. So we'll finish that up. If you've got your Bible, uh, open up to Titus chapter 2 in the last verse of it, verse 15. And uh, so I'll give you a little structure for our, our passage today, even before we read it. Uh, as we come to this, you know that God is the ultimate authority of uh, the universe, his universe. And as the ultimate authority of the universe, God has established subordinate authorities uh, into positions uh, in order to govern his children and to govern his creation. So um, this is true at the family level uh, that we saw earlier in Titus, and it's true at the church level, and it's true with the, the civil government, as we're going to see, and, and all sorts of other levels. So uh, as we follow along today, or as I you know, listen or, or follow along as we read from, from Titus chapter 2, verse 15, and then the first two verses of uh, chapter 3. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord, what we need today is faith to believe this is your word. Not just generally, but, but to deeply understand that you have spoken. And so when we come to the scriptures, we hear from you. We hear from you in a way that is intimate and is for our good and is binding on our consciences. And so please give us that faith and enlighten our minds this morning to understand uh, this portion of your word and to put it into actual practice in our lives today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, what you have here is, is Paul is giving this, this sort of pep talk to Titus, you might call it. You know, this how to be a, a faithful pastor, things you need to do. And, and, and it's in regard to everything we've seen so far in, in this letter that has been written to Titus. He's to declare these things. And so, uh, now when, when Paul says declare these things, it's important that we, that we understand this. Um, sometimes you miss this, but this is a, a command. It is, it is written in what is called the, the present active imperative. Those are grammar words. Unless you're an English major, you probably don't know what they are. But uh, what it means basically is that uh, this is not a one-time command. It's not declare them and then just, just move on and forget about it, but, but rather a continuously, habitually declaring of these things. It's a, a call to to preach the word of God, meaning, you know, uh, as it's said in our, our passage earlier in this chapter, uh, in this book, sound doctrine, or to preach what accords with sound doctrine. And, and so Titus here is also told that he is to rebuke, uh, <clears throat> to exhort, and to rebuke with all authority. That word, exhort, how many of you use that in regular, everyday language? It's, it is and that is more than most words in Scripture has this, this PR issue uh, that it's running up again. Because it's this great word, and, and, you know, but we tend to think of it as something that's harsh, something that's mean, something that's cruel. Uh, you know, you almost kind of hear that you, you exhort me. Don't you exhort me. I'll exhort you. Uh, you know, it's kind of that you, know, you don't even quite know what it means in that context. You know, it's, it's okay, though. Uh, calm down if someone's exhorting you, because all it means is encourage someone. 
In fact, it literally comes from, uh, you know, the two Greek words that mean to come alongside someone, para, like parachurch, uh, and, and to speak to someone. And, and so it's to come alongside and to speak to someone. You can almost picture that, the idea of, you know, the, the coach running beside his athlete uh, or the athlete and just exhorting them, you know, verbally, you can do this, don't give up, keep going. There's that exhortation, that encouragement. It's those kind words that, that push us forward to, to betterment. Um, and this is a call for, for Titus to encourage God's people in their Christian lives. But, but he's not only to exhort, but also to rebuke. And, and this one we understand a little more, right? And it's not a word we love. The, the, the word for rebuke, though, carries this idea of uh, exposing, uh, to reveal something. You know, when something uh, in your life that you're doing or, or believing is wrong or sinful, it is to expose that for what it is. Um, and, and so in a sense, really rebuking is just an encouragement for, for when we're doing something out of accord with, with what God's called us to. Parents practice these two commands all the time with their children, you know, uh, exhorting them to, to do the right things. You know, share your toy with your friend. Help your, help your sister carry that. Don't just watch her. Uh, you know, things of that nature. And, and also rebuking on the opposite side. You know, do not hit your brother. That's a rebuke, a correction. Um, don't hit him. God calls us to be kind to one another. And I, I hope in that, in that context, as you think about that, even in terms of the parenting, that rebuking, um, you, that you see that the goal of it is, is for someone's good, for their, their progress, their healthy progress. And, and we don't generally like being rebuked, but it is for our good. You know, when, when mom says, no, Nathan, do not put that, into, that fork into the electrical socket, um, that's nothing Nathan enjoys hearing, right, Nathan? Nathan's actually here, so uh, that works. But uh, Nathan might be shocked that mom has just chastised him, that she has just rebuked him, but, but that's better than Nathan being shocked because mom didn't chastise him. Come on, you get that, right? You stick the fork in the thing, you're shocked. Never mind. No dumb jokes for you, okay? Uh, anyway, Paul then tells Paul, or tells Titus, rather, that, that as the pastor of this new church, he is not to, he is to let nobody disregard you. Let no one disregard you, he says. Um, I'm going to be honest. This is really awkward to preach on because it kind of feels like I'm asking you, you know, to respect my authority. Uh, something of that nature, you know, and, and, and I guess it is, but it's not just, just mine. It's, it's looking at God's word and it puts you in an awkward position when you're saying this, but, uh, but the whole session, the, the group of elders that have been called to, to care for, for a congregation in that regard, and, and, and we'll have that, uh, we have that now, God willing, we'll have that locally uh, if indeed we elect them today. Uh, and so the authority here, though, is, is built upon the scriptures. It's a call to, to minister the word of God by both encouraging and rebuking when necessary. See, the, the real world issue here then is that, um, is that we all love the idea of being part of community. That, that sounds warm and fuzzy, and we, we just love that. Uh, and, and that's true until you find yourself uh, in a sin and wanting to continue in that sin, and then suddenly you don't want anyone to have any, any say in our lives. Which is why, you know, often in the, in the membership interviews, those who have been through it, you, you probably heard this, you know, will say something along the lines of, you know, if you go crazy and, and are unfaithful to, to, to them, then, then we're going to be involved in your life. And in that moment, you're not going to want us involved in your life anymore. And, and, and so we want you to understand right now that, that that's part of this agreement is, is, is we're caring for your soul, even if you don't want it later on. Um, you know, not, not because we're cruel. Um, but because sometimes 
We just want to be left to pursue what is sinful and harmful to our souls, and, and that's not good. Um, and so in membership, we're making this commitment to, to help you the best that we possibly can um, to never end up in that situation. And if you do end up there, to help you get out of it in, in a way that is, that is honoring to God and, and good for your soul. Uh, Paul expounds on this a bit more in 1 Timothy 5.20 where he writes, uh, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. And that's, that's why when, when someone's disciplined in a church to the point of excommunication, this is actually communicated to the rest of the, of the, of the members of the church. It's, it's not to shame an individual. That's not the goal. But, but as a warning to us all that if, that if we persist, because we're all perfectly capable of that, if we persist in sin, this is where we're going to end up. And, and I'll tell you, if an excommunicant ever returns, you better believe we'll throw a party, an amazing party, just to celebrate the, the wonderful work of God in that. Okay, so then chapter 3, as chapter 3 begins, um, you know, he's continuing this kind of how-to shepherd guide from Paul to Titus, uh, and, and as it continues, so, so now Paul is instructs him, instructs him saying, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. And so while in Titus 2.15 we, we saw the place of authority in the church, now he's speaking about the place of authority in, in the government, the, the civil authorities, kings and governors and presidents and uh, anything in that kind of category. And, and keep in mind that the primary purpose of the civil government, I don't know if you ever stop and just think, why does the government exist? But the primary purpose of the civil government is, is to use the sword to force um, a for, force of some sort to punish evildoers. That's the primary purpose, which I know sounds a little strange when you put it that way, but consider it like this. If, if um, one of my neighbors were to punch the other neighbor and I took it upon myself to, to you know, lock him in my basement you know, as, a, as a discipline or a punishment, uh, that would be crazy. I'd be the crazy one there, right? I've got a guy locked in my basement now. Uh, that would not be the right thing to do. However, it would be right, and it is right, for the government to lock the same guy away in jail for a while or until they, they sort things out. Uh, it's good. It helps keep order in society. It helps, it helps us function as a, as a larger uh, government organization or society. Uh, so uh, the government does much more than just that. We certainly know that. And as Christians, it can be difficult to know uh, how we should live in, in the nations that God has placed us into. Uh, I, I still remember 12 years ago, Laura and I, uh, we were traveling through Mexico on this bus with a bunch of high school students and uh, a few other adults, and um, we found ourselves near the town of Monclova. It's a bit further into the, the actual country of Mexico, and, and we stopped at this, this checkpoint. Not a toll booth, but you actually pull in, stop, go in, and talk to the authorities. Uh, and, and inside there, you know, the police, the authorities looked at our information and they were like, okay, go wait. Um, and we waited for an hour and two. We didn't have AC on that bus. We sweated like crazy. Um, and, and the Mexican citizens that were with us kept telling us um, they're waiting for a bribe. They want you to, to bribe them and then you, then you, you go on through. That's, that's how it works here in our country. Uh, but that, that deeply rooted um, American sense of ideals or ideals of justice that, that we have, you know, is that we, we never pay a bribe. You just don't do that. That's wrong. And, and so we didn't, and we waited, and we waited many, many more hours. And, and I'll tell you, it is, it is such a strange thing to be citizens of one kingdom when you're passing through another kingdom. And that's, that's the situation that every Christian finds themselves in. 
as citizens of the kingdom of God, while we are also citizens of the United States or whatever country we're from. Uh, and so then the question then is, how do we determine how to interact with the, with the world around us in this regard? Well, um, as a pastor who's, who's wishing to be obedient to the word of God, it becomes very clear that what this is telling me is that I need to tell you uh, to remind you, it says, to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And, and it might help us to do this, I think, when we realize that it's God who has placed these authorities over us. Because if I'm honest, you know, I, I think we struggle to see that, um, that God's sovereign hand in, in establishing leaders sometimes, because we, we just assume that if God's sovereign hand is establishing leaders, then, then these are going to be the best political leaders in the world. And, and then we look at the ballot, and you're, is God on vacation? You know, what's going on here? You know, uh, and, and scripture shows us a very, very different reality that God is not on vacation. Um, Consider, you know, what we learned from the book of Daniel. If you're not familiar with it, I'll give you a, a little bit about it. Uh, you know, Daniel himself, early in the chapter, says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding, which you read that, and it kind of gives you these warm fuzzies until a few chapters later when you realize that the king that God has set up as an authority above Daniel has suddenly been fooled into um, taking Daniel and placing him into a, a lion's den uh, where he is in great danger. I think it would have been hard in that instance to, to see this, uh, to see, but, but God has his reasons, even in that situation, for that king to be in charge in that land at that particular time. And, and by the end of the book of Daniel, we begin to see that the, the, you know, the glory of God's on display in the amazing way he works, and, and it was necessary that you had that king being fooled in the way that king was being fooled. Um, another example, you know, consider Pontius Pilate. Uh, one of the worst governing leaders ever. I mean, you, you have it written. You can see it. A lot of people knew it. He, he knowingly agreed to give the death penalty to a man he knew was innocent while setting free a man he knew to be a murderer. And yet, in, in chapter 19 of the Gospel of John, we, we read this interchange where, where Pilate um, is speaking to Jesus, and he says, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus doesn't, doesn't deny his, his place of authority. But, but instead, he reminds him of the source of that authority, the reason he has his authority. Jesus replies and he says, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you to you from above. God placed Pontius Pilate in this position of authority. Um, remember also, Jesus in Matthew twenty two twenty one, 21, you know, they're ta asking about taxes and, and such. And he didn't say, don't pay your taxes. He said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And what we learn in our passage today is that we don't just render our, our taxes to our government, but also our obedience. First Peter two thirteen through 14 says similarly, it's not a word I can say, it says in a similar way, uh, be subject to. For the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. 
This is a, a call for, for submission for all Christians, right? It's a, a call for, for our submission. And, uh, you, know, you know, men, we, we talked about what it looks like to, to be a, a, you know, a, a leader in your family. If you, if you want to understand, though, what, you know, how a wife sees her calls to, call to submit in Scripture, consider here that, that you're called to submit to the civil government. And you begin to kind of understand this, how easy or how difficult that submission is, is, is tied directly to how godly or how evil the government you've been called to submit to is. And, and now in every situation of authority, we, we come to realize that the ultimate authority is God. You know, if a, if a husband asks his, his wife to do what Scripture forbids, then she is to submit to, to God instead. If your government asks you to do what God has called sin, then uh, it is necessary that you disobey your government for the sake of obeying your God. Uh, you know, if your church asks you to sin, then, then you keep submitting to God. And, and in each case, keep in mind, uh, when we're talking about God as the ultimate priority, the ultimate authority, what, what we have in mind is God in his word, right? And, and that's an important distinction. It's not just what you feel God might want you to do or, or, you know, some idea you have apart from God's word, but that we're talking specifically from his word. You know, all other authorities are accountable to God. There's no way around that. So therefore, you know, no earthly authority can rightly forbid, forbid what God has commanded, nor command what God has forbid. Um, so when that's the case, and only that's the case, then civil disobedience is necessary for believers. But in, in most cases, and this is what we need to get our head around, in most cases, Christians are obligated to render civil obedience to the government. Uh, if you've got your Bible open, turn over to, to Romans chapter 13. It'll be good for you to see this. We're going to... You know, Paul here is writing to the church in, in Rome, and he's speaking uh, to a church who lives under a truly pagan and thoroughly corrupt government. And yet, that's, that's the same church that in these first six verses, chapter 13, he, he says this. Follow along if you got it. Otherwise, just listen. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in sub subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are, are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Um, so we see that, that Scripture calls us to more than, than just obedience, even. even. Even beyond the obedience we see there, it, it calls us to pray for those who are in authority over us. Um, I didn't know any... <clears throat> anything about Scott's prayer today, but to see him pray for our authorities was, was very encouraging. Otherwise, I'd be calling him out at this point, but uh, that's not necessary. So, uh, I'll, you know, I'll ask you, Christian, do you pray for President Obama? And that's a very, very different question than do you like his politics or do you believe he's been a good president or is a good man? It, it's a question that, that really arises from First Timothy 2, 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2, where we read, First of all, then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for those who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. 
And so if you don't pray for, for our president or other leaders, I'm, I'm comfortable telling you that, that you ought to be. Um, you ought to be praying for those who are in civil uh, positions of authority. And, and no, I don't mean imprecatory prayers. It's, it's not what Paul is suggesting here. Imprecatory are the prayers that are like curses on somebody. Uh, that's not the kind of prayer he's talking about here. Uh, I read in a Table Talk devotional re- recently uh, about praying for our leaders, and it said this. It said, given the, the sorry state of the world around us, we are quick to complain when political leaders are failing at their jobs or promoting injustice. Certainly, we should raise our voices when we confront such problems. However, it's not enough for us to merely, merely to protest. We must also pray. God wants us to pray for our leaders, even the leaders for whom we have not voted. Uh, I, I found it interesting. Surely I'm not the only one seeing this. It's enough to almost make me want to get off Facebook completely. But um, <clears throat> how often you're, you're seeing these posts that are telling you who God wants you to vote for, right? Um, God wants you to vote for Hillary because she cares about the oppressed. Uh, or God wants you to vote for Trump because he'll appoint pro-life judges. You know, God doesn't want you to vote for either of these people. And, and you just hear these things over and over again telling you this is what God wants you to do. And certainly your, your faith in Christ should shape the way that you vote. And, and, in, and in my lifetime, you know, admittedly, this has been one of the more confusing elections that we've ever seen, uh, that we've ever witnessed right now. However, God has not said who to vote for. But, but what he has said is that you, as a Christian, are to pray for those who in our nation have been elected to these high positions. Scripture is very clear about that. Um, I haven't seen a single post on that yet. And, and so then we, we see this very specific call to obedience to the government in, in verse 1 here of, of chapter 3. All, all the while, there, there's, there's certainly, again, this place of civil disobedience and protesting. For instance, you know, just because it's, it, it's legal to, to murder an unborn child in this, tri- in this country, it doesn't mean that we should, we should stop working to protect those children in the hope of, of changing those laws. Um, and, and the reason is because... God and, and not government or, or laws are ultimately determine what are right and wrong ethics. Um, but, but today, you know, in, instead of focusing on civil disobedience and, and when it's necessary, I want us to focus on, on what God's word has called you to. It says to be obedient. Too often the focus is on disobedience. You know, what, what, what does it look like to be obedient then? Sure. You know, paying your taxes is a good start. I, I actually remember uh, some years ago with uh, Heritage Christian Academy, we, we took a, a group of high school students to, to do this low, low ropes uh, team building activity uh, with the high school students. And, and this woman in charge, you might have been there, you might remember this, uh, made this, this comment, you know, well, everybody cheats on their taxes. And I just thought, what? No, no they don't. Like, what, what is wrong with you? Um, so I guess it's worth saying, yes, paying your taxes is a part of being obedient, but it's also all those things that we just think are absolutely silly. And I, I admit, I struggle with the silly ones really bad. You know, if I, I show up and the road's blocked off and there's something in the way and they haven't started their construction yet, you know, this is ridiculous. We should be allowed to drive on this road. It looks fine. They haven't even started the work yet. And, you know, my car can get around this sign. Let's just, let's just go. This is a silly and dumb law. Um, but that's... That's wrong of me. And that's the sort of attitude that, that fails to acknowledge um, that when we submit ourselves to, to the government that God has, has put in this place, 
Uh, when, we, when we're obedient to the government, we're bearing witness to the truth that, that God is the final authority and, and that we're willing to submit to God because he's told us to submit to this, even, even the silly rule. So the last, the last phrase we see here in verse 1 says that we are to be ready for every good work. We, we dealt with good works extensively last week. Uh, so I'll just remind you that our, our good works adorn the gospel that we proclaim. Uh, they, they show that God is as glorious as, as he truly is. Uh, and part of our being ready for every good work is, is putting into practice what God teaches us, uh, you know, even in Romans 12, 18, which tells us, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Um, so here's the deal. Um, uh, the gospel is important. The gospel is of greater significance than political issues. And I, I don't say that with the intention of devaluing politics or, or social issues. They are important. I, I say that in, in the hopes that you and, and that I uh, will gain a better, more accurate, renewed sense of the massive significance of the gospel. Because whether, whether someone dies as a, a meth-addicted prostitute or as a, a conservative Supreme Court justice, if they die without faith in Christ, they both end up in the same place. And, and that should break our heart. And it also, you know, guides us to remember, you know, I need to remember that, that, you know, my ethically and politically conservative neighbor who doesn't know Christ and, and my ethically uh, and politically liberal neighbor uh, who doesn't know Christ both need Christ equally. Uh, and to this point, you know, John MacArthur said, I think this is the first time in our three years I've ever quoted John MacArthur, but uh, John MacArthur said the sad reality is that when the church gets a moralizing, politicizing bent, it usually has a negative impact on its evangelization, evangelization mission. Because then it makes Christians hostile to the current system, and they become the enemies of society rather than the compassionate friend. Uh, you know, we want to help people see that they ought not put their hope in, in presidents, that they ought not put their hope in, in policies, but but in the Lord Jesus Christ who, who lives and in the gospel that redeems us from our, our sin. Uh, that's what we're, we're ultimately trying to get to. Um, so far, we, we've seen in this that, that Titus has, has shown you know, how we are to relate to the church authority, how we're to relate to the governing authority. And then here in verse 3, it kind of broadens to the way we, we just relate to people in general. Uh, and really, if you, if you consider the wording here, it's more of a picture of how do we relate to people who you might consider an enemy or people that, that tend to be different than us, think different than us. Um, you know, keeping in mind that this is, this is continuing with the call for Titus to exhort the Christians in Crete to a godly way of life. And, and so, um, you know, I, I want to remind us exactly what these, these two verses say, or this verse says, verse 2. It says that I am to remind you, speak evil of, of no one. Uh, avoid quarreling, be gentle, and show perfect courtesy towards all people. And that's kind of a great verse for us right now, isn't it? I mean, you, you think about the fact that we, we kind of go through these books of the Bible and that God has brought this passage before us during one of the ugliest campaign seasons we've, we've ever seen. You know, if you watch the, the presidential debate, you, you've seen these, these qualities lacking in a lot of ways, and I don't want to draw too much attention to it, but uh, I was so disappointed during the, the debate last week, um, not even to speak of the content, but that to see each candidate completely ignore the moderators as, as, their time, uh, as they were informed that their time was up. 
uh, you know, sir, you got to stop, ma'am, you got to stop, and just talk completely over ignoring these people who have been put in a place of authority to moderate this thing. And so, uh, you know, I, I see that, and it's so ugly to witness that I want us to be mindful to, to not fall into that same mentality of just disregarding people in that way. And I, and I am in, including Facebook. I know we're probably talking about Facebook more than usual today, but, you know, it's important to remember that, that Facebook is not some parallel upside-down world that doesn't count. Um, you're still interacting with people there. And, and so this list of characteristics uh, applies to the way that we interact on, on social media. And you know the way that, that, that people display that, you know, their ideas are communicated. And, and, and these statements here, they're, they're pretty straightforward, right? To, to speak evil of no one. You know, don't use your words to needlessly or falsely hurt anyone's reputation. It says we should avoid quarreling. Is that how you pronounce that word, quarreling? Meaning, you know, we, we need to avoid these verbal arguments when it, whenever possible. And again, you know, apply this to online interaction. If you can avoid an argument, by all means do so. The, the saddest thing you ever see is those Facebook wars where there's just, no one's bending anywhere, uh, you know. It goes on, it tells us to be, to be gentle, to not be abusive, not domineering, but, but patient. You know, similar to the way in Philippians 4, 5 instructs us, let your reasonable, reasonableness be known to everyone. Um, and finally, we, we see here, we read here that we are to show perfect courtesy towards all people. That, that word courtesy here is often translated as, as meekness or, or kindness in, in certain places. It's um, about this humility, and it's about not using force, even when force is available to you. It's, it's one of the ways that we, we show people, and one of the ways that we do show people courtesy is, is by listening instead of just, just talking so that the other person feels heard. And this isn't, this isn't so much about the way you listen to your grandma. I know you'll listen to your grandma. She's sweet. But, but you know, it's, it's really more about those people that we don't naturally um, want to show courtesy to. Those people that frustrate us. Those people with ideas that, that might, might frustrate you greatly. And that's, that's the point here of saying all people here. You know, maybe, maybe when you read this phrase, all people, in this passage, it'll help you to consider, you know, how you interact with people regarding... LGBT and now Q issues, or, or those who are at an absolute opposite political affiliation from where you might be, or you know, you likely at this point uh, have some opinion about the athletes that are kneeling during the national anthem, or, or any other hot button issue that's, that's coming up, you're going to have opinions about these, and that's good, it's good to think about these things, but what we need to learn from God's word here is that the way that we interact with people about these ideas, these issues, um, matters. And we're called to show, to show courtesy in these events. You know, even, even if their ideas are, are flawed, even if their methods are absolutely obnoxious, it doesn't negate the way that God has called us to interact with them. This is the, the, you know, the sort of thing, then, as we see this. And one of the things that's great about this is it requires self-control to be able to do that, right? A great deal of self-control. And, and Paul has mentioned that as something that we, we need to be developing over and over again. Even in this short letter, we've seen it many, many times. Okay, so just one more thing here today. We, you know, we're not, we're not called to be revolutionaries for Christ, which I think disappoints us because who didn't want to be a revolutionary? I, I certainly do at times, you know, but we're not called to be revolutionaries for Christ. We're, we're called to be ambassadors for Christ. Um, and that means our loyalty is always to Jesus. And that means submitting to the authorities he has placed in our lives, whether that's the elders in the church, the, the governor of our state, the, the general at Fort Riley, 
You know, so long as, as we're not being asked to sin, we, we submit and ready ourselves for every good work that God has prepared for us. And, and that certainly includes, you know, showing courtesy, gentleness, uh, you know, to those who, who we disagree with, and, and yet hope to see that God might bring them to faith uh, or to mature their faith. Let's pray.